0: Christchurch, New Malden. 27th of October 2019. 9.30 service. Anna Larkin speaking on food, drink and the exploitation of people and the planet. Good morning everyone. Um, my name's Anna and this morning I'm going to speaking on food and drink and the exploitation of people and the planet. So something lighthearted and cheery on a Sunday morning the impact of our lifestyles on people and the planet has never been more at the focus of our attention than it is now david attenborough's blue planet hugh fernley whittingstall and anita rani's war on plastic greta thunberg and the extinction rebellion protests have all given us pause for thought just in the last couple of months i've read about how in the uk we throw away enough plastic to fill two double-decker buses every 30 seconds. I've also read that research shows that 86% of all land mammals are now either humans or livestock. Animals raised solely for the purpose of providing us with food. Our unsustainable diets and farming practices have led to the extinction of non-useful animals and the destruction of their habitats. I've also read about how the world is seeing its first climate refugees and climate change could push more than 100 million people back into poverty by 2030, following current trajectories. And just a few days ago, on Wednesday, a report that the Amazon rainforest is close to irreversible tipping point due largely to deforestation. A forecast has been published suggesting that the rainforest could stop producing enough rain to sustain itself by as early as 2021 and start slowly degrading into a drier savanna, releasing billions of tonnes of carbon into the atmosphere, which could exacerbate global warming and disrupt weather patterns across South America. Now, I'm sure that all of us this morning could list dozens of recent headlines like these. We are used to thinking about our carbon footprints, in terms of how we travel, perhaps, or how we heat our houses. But I feel as though it's only more recently, the more I've read and researched, and basically just paid attention to dialogue that's taking place globally about issues to do with climate change, that I've become more aware about the ways that my choices of food and drink impact our planet, the different climate change emissions associated with certain kinds of farming. Fresh water use, water pollution, air pollution. How is the food I eat transported from farm to table? What's it being packaged in? How much of the food that we buy ends up being thrown away? How much is thrown away before it's even been bought? We're used to these issues being debated by politicians and protesters, but not usually from the pulpit. So why is this? If the contents of our freezer can affect the ice in the North and South Poles, if the ingredients of our family meal can have the potential to affect whether or not a family on the other side of the world can even afford a meal, then that brings the issues down from the news headlines right down to our own dining tables. I'd suggest that taking care of the world and its inhabitants, however and wherever we can, is an intrinsic part of what it means to be a Christian. A follower of Jesus so why is this well firstly God made the world and he loves it we all know how the story goes in the beginning dot 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 whether you believe the account of creation in Genesis is to be taken literally or whether you believe it's an allegory designed to illustrate the fundamental truths about why we are here one thing is clear God's fingerprints are all over this beautiful world that we live in. He was actively involved in crafting all the intricacies of every plant, every animal, every human being. And he is delighted with how it all turned out. God created the world and he saw that it was good. When we begin to view our world as the proudest achievement of the greatest artist and inventor of all time, That will change the way that we treat it and care for it. We treat our most precious paintings and artefacts with tremendous care and respect and we celebrate advances in science and technology with great pride. So when we reframe our view of the world through the lens of our faith, it seems only natural to begin to treat the world and everything in it with the respect, admiration and honour it deserves passage that was read earlier talks about loving God with all our heart mind soul and strength what does our treatment of creation imply about our attitude towards its creator and secondly God created us to look after the world the Bible says God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it human beings are the climax of God's creation made in his own image But we've been given a unique task, to look after the world around us. This isn't an optional extra, something that can be left to a few keen environmentalists while the rest of us get on with business as usual. This is programmed into us right at our core. It's part of our reason for being, a fundamental part of what it means to be human. And the third reason we ought to care about people and the planet is that we are to blame for the things that have gone wrong. Sadly, many, perhaps even most, of the biggest problems currently facing our world and its inhabitants are a direct result of human activity. Human beings have plundered the world of its natural resources and polluted it beyond the point of no return. It's easy to blame things like air travel and factories and power stations for this, But I was surprised to discover that the global food system is responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than transport, heating, lighting and air conditioning combined. On top of this, agriculture is one of the leading causes of deforestation. The sad irony being that trees are one of our best and most effective ways of absorbing carbon dioxide from the air and preventing it from adding to the greenhouse effect. Apparently, scientists have known since the early 1800s that greenhouse gases in the Earth's atmosphere trap heat. Despite this, global carbon dioxide emissions from human activity have increased year on year. Icebergs and glaciers are melting. Sea levels are rising. Increasing temperatures are affecting wildlife and their inhabitants and their habitats. Rainfall has increased across the globe on average, causing widespread floods and landslides. Yet some regions are experiencing more severe drought than ever before, increasing the risk of wildfires, lost homes, lost crops, and drinking water shortages. Storms and hurricanes are becoming increasingly powerful with ever more devastating consequences. In 2015, the leaders of 195 nations signed a climate agreement committing to work together to limit the rise in temperature to no more than two degrees Celsius, and ideally less than 1.5 degrees. Scientists and experts all around the world agree that if we don't achieve this, the consequences would be disastrous. The signing of the Paris Agreement was a landmark victory in the fight against climate change. But by 2017, just two years later, Donald Trump had already announced his intention to withdraw the US from the agreement, and most of the countries that remain aren't doing nearly enough to reach their targets. I can't help thinking back to the story of creation. God created the world, and it was good. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. How are we doing at fulfilling our roles as the curators of creation? Climate change is threatening the lives of the world's poorest and most vulnerable people, displacing millions who have been described as climate or environmental refugees. Tearfund describes climate change as one of the greatest injustices of our time, because the people least responsible for it are often the most vulnerable to its impacts, especially people living in poverty. Added to this, the people living in poverty are the ones who are most likely to be exploited in the production of the food and drink that we enjoy. Surely, this goes directly against what it means to love our neighbours as ourselves. About two thirds of the world's cocoa supply comes from West Africa, where according to a report done in 2015, more than two million children were working in cocoa growing regions. It's not unusual for children as young as eight or ten years old to do dangerous tasks like clearing land with machetes, spraying pesticide and carrying sacks of cocoa that may weigh 40 kilograms or more. When asked earlier this year by the Washington Post, representatives of some of the biggest and best known brands worldwide could not guarantee that any of their chocolate was produced without child labour. One of the reasons for this is that nearly 20 years after pledging to eradicate child labour, chocolate companies still can't identify the farms where all their cocoa comes from, let alone where the child labour was used in producing it. Mars, the maker of M&Ms and Milky Way, can trace only 24% of its cocoa back to farms. Nestle can trace about 49% of its global cocoa supply. Child labour is also used in the farming and harvesting of bananas, particularly in parts of Latin America where workers on banana plantations are routinely exposed to agrochemicals, usually without protective equipment, handling the pesticides, applying fungicides before shipping, or even working while pesticides are sprayed aerially over the farms. It's been documented that shortly after being exposed to these chemicals, Workers, including children as young as eight years old, have experienced a long list of negative reactions. Things like headaches, fever, dizziness, red eyes, stomach aches, nausea, vomiting, trembling and shaking, itching, burning nostrils, fatigue and aching bones. And I don't think much is yet known about the longer term health impacts that this could lead to. When Jesus was asked what a life of faith was all about, he said, Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. What does it mean to love our neighbour as ourselves? When we begin to see ourselves in others, two things become clear. The first is how we're all connected. We have far more in common than we often realise. And the second is just how easily the other person could be us and we could be them. I would hate to think that buying myself a coffee might mean that a mum on the other side of the world is unable to provide a meal for her family that night because she's not been paid a fair wage. Worse still, I'd be horrified to think that in order for me to give my child a banana to eat, someone else's child might have been endangered or enslaved or even just prevented from access to education. As Christians, part of loving our neighbours as ourselves is being mindful of where our food is coming from and who has been involved in producing it. Unfortunately, this isn't as easy as it ought to be, but there are things that we can look out for. Most people are aware of what the Fair Trade logo looks like, but you might also recognise the logos for UTZ and Rainforest Alliance. These three non-profit groups provide labels to products that have been produced according to their basic ethical, social, economic and environmental standards. They do these in in different ways and to different extents, but each of these three organizations is committed to things like eradicating child labor, providing a fair wage, treating workers ethically, and investing in local farms and infrastructure to reduce the environmental impacts of food production. So, for instance, a fair trade banana won't have been produced using child labour. The workers on the plantation will have been paid a fair wage and be protected by workers' rights that mean they won't have been exposed to dangerous chemicals and will have been given appropriate protective equipment like boots to protect them from scorpion bites. In addition to this, fair trade products are often transported by boat where possible rather than by plane to lower their carbon footprint. Oxfam are currently running a campaign called Behind the Barcodes. I don't know if anybody's seen this. Uh, They've analysed six leading supermarkets, policies and practices on human rights in their supply chains. They've looked at whether supermarkets are transparent and accountable in the ways that they ensure workers' rights are respected, that small-scale farmers are prosperous, and that the women who produce our food are treated fairly. They've published the results showing how the supermarkets rank against each other and it also includes a comparison between 2018 and 2019. So, as you can see, a bit small but I hope you can see, um, Tesco have come out on top two years running and Aldi, although ranked fourth, have shown the most progress. So, you can see the little number next to the arrow shows that they've had an 18% improvement in the last 12 months. So that's really good news for us. Our two biggest supermarkets locally have demonstrated a real commitment to cleaning up their acts. However, Lidl, a supermarket right at the centre of New Malden, is currently the UK's worst performing supermarket. And it's also shown the least improvement across a 12-month period at just 4%. They don't have sufficient public policies on human rights and they are one of the, uh, they're the only one of these supermarkets not to have joined the Ethical Trading Initiative. So for these reasons Oxfam are encouraging people to sign a petition asking Lidl to do more to protect the people who produce our food. And the thing is supermarkets really do listen to their customers. At the beginning of 2018, as you'll, as you'll see on the statistics there, Aldi had been ranked as the UK's worst major supermarket for public policies and practices that prevent human suffering so they scored just one percent overall but in october 2018 so a year ago oxfam led a campaign asking people to take action and speak out against aldi and since then the company has published a human rights policy appointed a human rights director and put more information on its website so in just 12 months they've gone from being the uk's worst performing supermarkets across the board To being the supermarket that has shown the most improvement that's the power we have as consumers it's easy to think that our own individual shopping habits don't make much of a difference that they're just a drop in the ocean when it comes to affecting change but that couldn't be further from the truth the success of supermarkets depends on their customers more than on anything else they care what we think They're carefully tracking which products we put into our trolleys, and they are listening and responding to our petitions, tweets, and emails. So these are just a few of the ways that a more careful, more thought-through approach to our weekly shopping habits could be a part of loving our neighbors. But we can take it a step further. We can also make planet-friendly food swaps. Cows have received a lot of bad press lately. Cattle farming has been the cause of a lot of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, and the cows involved in both beef and dairy farming produce a huge amount of methane. Would it be better for the planet if we all stopped consuming beef and dairy products? Well, yes, quite possibly. However, there is a huge variability between the different ways of producing food. Beef cattle raised on deforested land results in 12 times more greenhouse gases and 50 times more land than those grazing in natural pasture. So if you feel able to give up beef altogether, fantastic. But if that's not for you, perhaps think about cutting down on the amount of beef you eat and choosing to buy more locally sourced, grass-fed beef. It's absolutely fine, good even, to eat beef as a Christian and enjoy it while still being conscious of the fact that even the lowest impact beef is responsible for six times more greenhouse gases and uses 36 times more land than plant-based protein does. So eat beef, but eat it sustainably, thinking about how and where it's been produced. Eat it thankfully, as part of enjoying and celebrating God's good creation. And eat it mindfully, recognising it as a luxury that comes at a cost. You might have noticed that we've started offering soya milk with the tea and coffee after the service as a dairy-free, lower-carbon alternative to cow's milk. Interestingly, I noticed a climate change food calculator on the BBC News website, so I thought I'd give it a try, and this is what happened. So as you can see, it says at the top, how do your food choices impact on the environment? And uh, you could choose different products. So I selected milk, and I said that I have the equivalent of one glass per day, but actually, I probably, in reality, I have quite a bit more than that. It then told me that over a year, this was contributing 229 kilograms to my greenhouse gas emissions. But I didn't really know what that meant. It seemed like a lot, but I I just didn't know. But the website broke it down for me. So as you can see there, it's the equivalent of driving a petrol car 585 miles. Or it's the same as heating the average UK home for 36 days. My consumption of dairy milk also uses 46,000 liters of water, which is apparently equal to 703 eight-minute showers, and 652 square meters of land, which is the equivalent of two tennis courts. So all of that just for me to have a bowl of cereal each morning and a few cups of tea and coffee throughout the rest of the day. It then gave me a chart showing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with the different kinds of milk. So, as you can see right at the top of the chart there, cow's milk has more than double the impact of any other non-dairy milk. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't given up milk, but it has made me think. I've reduced the amount of milk I consume each day, and I have a greater appreciation for the milk I do use. I've started trying to use soya milk in my coffee more often. I suppose it's given me a greater respect for milk, Its value has increased in my eyes because I'm aware of its environmental cost and this knowledge has meant that I can no longer empty out the remains of my daughter's bottle of milk down the sink at the end of the day, completely guilt-free. Instead, I'm more careful about how much milk I put in her bottle in the first place, and if there's any left over at the end of the day, I think about using it in a cup of tea rather than pouring it away. I think this is what it all boils down to when it comes to a Christian response to the impact of our diets on the rest of the world. There are many, many different labels, logos and certifications on food and drinks that give us an idea of the effects that they have on people and on the planet. Part of loving God and loving our neighbour is learning what each of these labels means and looking out for them when we're doing our shopping. And it's not just the things that we eat and drink. There are other things associated with food and drink that it's worth mentioning briefly. There's a huge amount of single-use plastic used in the packaging and preparation of our food and drink. And I'm sure we're all aware that there's been a big push lately to cut down on single-use plastic straws and bottles. But there are other things that we can do as well. We might consider using airtight food containers instead of cling film or plastic bags. We can buy fruit and vegetables loose when possible, rather than pre-packaged. Do the tea bags that you use contain microplastics? Are they fairly traded? How do you buy soft drinks? Bear in mind that drink cans are one of our most easily recycled forms of packaging. Apparently, a recycled aluminum can can be back on a supermarket shelf in as little as 60 days. Are we recycling as much of our food packaging and waste as possible? Is there any packaging that could be reused for a while before it's recycled? a glass jam jar, for instance, or a plastic tub with a lid? Have you thought about turning your non-recyclable plastic rubbish into eco bricks? What about the cleaning to do with food preparation? Are you using washing up liquid or dishwasher tablets or cleaning sprays that contain strong chemicals and are harmful to aquatic life? Are your dishwasher tablets individually wrapped in plastic? Could you think about switching to a more environmentally conscious brand? Are you using washing-up sponges and brushes that contain plastic and will end up in landfill? And if so, could you consider switching to more natural alternatives made of wood or plant fibres instead? Collectively, our human activity has been to blame for a huge amount of damage done to people and the planet. But sadly, it's often our human inactivity that's continuing to do further damage. The key to breaking this cycle is to educate ourselves to understand the impact of our actions, our habits, our lifestyles, and where necessary to make a change and make sacrifices to make things better. I feel like I've given you a lot of bad news this morning and a lot of challenge, but don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. I've saved the best part until the end. The good news is that the story isn't over yet. God's plans for salvation include every aspect of creation. God has promised that in the end, the whole world will be radically renewed. Everything that is evil or destructive will be destroyed and everything that is good will thrive. As Christians and as human beings, we're invited to play a part in this renewal. And it begins now, it begins with us. We can't all do everything, but we can all do something. What will you do?